So let's turn in God's Word to the book of Obadiah, because believe it or not, Obadiah is part of God's Word. It is part of the Old Testament. It's hard to find Obadiah. The best way to find it is to look in your table of contents, because it's just like one page. So turn maybe there if you have trouble finding it. Um, Hosea, Amos, Joel, Obadiah. is That's the Old Testament uh, order if you're looking there. But let's look in Obadiah. It's only one chapter, verses 10 through 14. Here's what God's Word says. Because of violence to your brother Jacob, you'll be covered with shame and you'll be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were as one of them. Do not gloat over your brother's day, the day of his misfortune, and do not rejoice over the sons of Judah in the day of their destruction. Yes, do not boast in the day of their distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their disaster. Yes, you do not gloat over their calamity in the day of their disaster, and do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. Do not stand at the fork of the road to cut down their fugitives. And do not imprison their survivors in the day of their distress. Let's pray over these verses. God, I pray that we would learn today about being who you want us to be when we engage others. I pray you would teach us to not be violent, but to be kind and gracious and loving pray you teach us that today, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the United States criminal justice system works in a very kind of specific way. I'm not an expert at it, but kind of got the general idea of it. And it ha- might have some flaws, and some people may not actually behave this way anymore, but the principle of innocent and proven guilty has worked well over many years. That is the basis of what we, we live off of, and it, and it protects American citizens from being abused by those in power. The process usually begins with the police, and, and it's completed in the court system. And what happens, you probably know, is, is the police come in, and when there is some sort of, of crime or possible crime, and it, it begins with them gathering evidence once there's sufficient evidence that a crime has been committed, charges are leveled against the, the suspect. After that, a trial begins and the evidence is presented and the suspect or the defendant is, is pronounced either in or not guilty or guilty. And if the suspect is found guilty, then there's a sentence that is given for the appropriate crime. I mean, appropriate sentence given for the crime. And so this process of evidence, charges, trial, and sentencing is the basis for our justice system in in the modern world. But in dealing with Edom, God does not work through the American justice system. He didn't work that way. God actually works this in reverse. Last week, we went through verses 1 through 9, and he sentenced them and said, you are going to be destroyed. That is the sentence. They're going to be destroyed. That is the consequence of their actions. And that's how Obadiah's prophecy began. Next, 
is the process in reverse. He's going to declare the charges against them, and then he's going to present the evidence of why this happens. He's going kind of in our reverse. And the point that's the one point that is missing is the trial, because God doesn't need a trial of peers to make sure that his judgment is fair and correct and, and righteous. He is Edom's judge, and he is their jury, and he is going to mete out their judgment. And so whatever his decision is, is going to be perfectly just. And so here's the charge that's recorded in verse 10. Here's the charge against them. Because of violence to your brother Jacob, you'll be covered with shame and you'll be cut off forever. He says, here's the charge. Edom is guilty of violence against Israel. Remember, we talked about how Edom and Israel are actually distant cousins. Esau and Jacob were twins. These people should have been close to each other, but Edom decided to make Israel their enemy. And because of their violence against them, God says, I'm going to cover you with shame and cut you off forever. The word violence here that's used, it can mean a moral, a moral wrong against another. It might mean physical force, but it doesn't necessarily have to be physical force. And Obadiah is going to spend the rest of this section, 10 through 14, describing what kind of violence that is. And before we get to what we can learn about it, we should understand God hates violence. God hates violence. If we look in Psalm 11.5, it says, The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence his soul hates. God searches everyone for violence in their hearts. He goes on in Proverbs 3.31, Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. God's people are not to choose the way of a violent man. We live in a violent society. Um, and, it, and it's getting more and more so. Things on television that were never seen are, are now just common, common things. Teenagers are exposed to violence in, in ways they never might have before because, because of either games or movies or phones or internet, whatever it might be. They are exposed to these type of things. And God hates violence. So the question is, are we guilty of violence to other people? That's as people of God, that's what we need to be asking. If, and I, I say this over and over again. You'll hear me say it over and over again in Ob- Obadiah. If God did not care for violence and people who are not his people, how much more does he not like it in those who are his people? He doesn't care for violence. He hates it, it says. And so we are, we're going to look at that. So to keep from violence, first of all, we need to understand that neglecting others is violence. Look in verse 11. Neglecting others is an, is an act of violence. On the day you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gate and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were as one of them first piece of evidence that God shows that they were violent against Israel is that when Babylon came into Jerusalem at 586 BC and they were going to destroy Jerusalem and carry them away, 
Edom just stood back and watched from afar. They didn't come to Israel's aid. They didn't help somebody in their time of need. They just stood back. They knew what was happening. They knew their cousins were in desperate need, and they just stood back and watched. Their guilty was that they saw it, and they didn't care about it. Their crime was passivity, is what, Jesus, or what, what Obadiah is saying here. Watching somebody be violated and not acting is an act of violence. And these are things that we need to look at. Christians should value all human life. And when violence is committed against another people, Christians should be the first to stand and, and cry out against it and do what they can to fix it. That is something we should do. Instead, in our culture, many times the first people to stand up are political activists in order to spin this for their cause. Instead of just simply saying, this is wrong and people should not be treated in such a manner, we, we should be the ones standing up and doing that. Instead of saying that, it is spun for political purposes. And that is, that is simply not that. We should just stand and say it's wrong because our God says it is wrong. And, and so when we see people violated, when we see people, either groups of people being mistreated, and I don't know what all we can do in those situations when we see a country harming a whole other country. I mean, th- that we, we should stand up against it, but I don't know what one of us can do, but we might be able to do something. And, if, and at the very least, it's making a stand and saying, this is wrong because our God hates violence. Psalm 72, 12 through 14 says this, for he will deliver the needy when he cries for help. The afflicted also and him who has no helper, he will have compassion on the poor and needy, and the lives of the needy he will save. He will rescue their life from oppression and violence, and their blood will be precious in his sight. Human life is, is precious to God. And so human life, when we see humans being violated and being abused, we should have violence. I know there's a church in, in Grand Junction who, is, who has a ministry called She Has a Name, and they deal with human trafficking, rescuing young women in foreign countries who are sold into the sex trade and, and are being abused that way, and they go and they rescue one at a time. And it's so vast, but they've rescued one. You know, they've rescued two. They've rescued three. I mean, this is, these are the kind of things that God is, is concerned about, violence against people when someone is neglected. And it may not have to be that strongly. It might be someone in our neighborhood who is just maybe neglected or someone who is not. I had a chaplain come to me and talk to me about the elderly in our community, people who go to our churches for their lives, and then when things, when, when things get bad health-wise for them, they go into these health care centers, and now um, they, they need they're, they're not involved in our churches. And I'm glad for people like Modine who go over and minister to them. But he's asking people, he, he had talked with two people at the end of their life and maybe, I don't know if they were part of church or not, but he, he talked with them and they came to know Christ and he's baptized at least one of them and planning another one. And these are people who are, 
who are older folks, and, and they're, they're somewhat neglected. Not, they've had people caring for them, and I'm not saying the care in the care centers are bad. I'm not saying that. I'm just simply saying, spiritually speaking, are they being neglected? And so I talked to him and said, when I, um, I will, I'll sit and talk with him and find a way maybe I can be involved in that, in that ministry, and maybe we can as a group. But, but the point is, when, when human life is treated haphazardly or discarded or, or treated violently, God does not like that. God, God loves humans. There's inherent value in human life. That's a virtue that Edom lacked. See, in, t- in 2014, I read this week about a researcher from, from Penn State um, who, who did a study on young men who were incarcerated and, and for violent crimes. And they found the best predictor of a teenager being violent is neglect. The strongest predictor of a teenage boy becoming violent is neglect. It was a stronger predictor than being abused. Now, there is some correlation with being abused and then you become violent, but being neglected was a stronger predictor than being abused. It was even stronger than being neglected and abused. If a kid was just neglected, the chances of them becoming violent in their teenage years, was a greater predictor than anything else. He was saying that to make sure our children are not neglected, (laughs) and we can help with that, we can do that. If you look in your neighborhood and you see somebody maybe who, I'm not talking about judging people, but I'm saying looking and saying, you know what, that person might need a coat and we give them a coat. That person might need a meal, and we take them a meal, or we whatever, but we, we're, we're looking at them and seeing them as humans and loving them and, and, and in, engaging them. The body of Christ, we can, help, we can help do that. We can help families love on their kids. Maybe the parents had been neglected, and they don't know how to be good parents, and so we can help them learn how to be better parents and not neglect their children but, but my, my point is God told Edom, who was a nation that had rejected God, that they should have concern for the people of God. How much more do the people of God should have a concern for the people of God? That's the second greatest commandment. Luke 10, 25 and 29, it says a lawyer stood up and put him, Jesus, to the test and saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What's written in the law? How does it read to you? And he said, Well, he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? See, the lawyer wanted Jesus to answer, who is my neighbor? That is, point out to me the people I need to be kind to. That's what he's saying. And he tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. And if you don't know that, you can look in Luke 10 and read that. And Jesus turns the question around and says, who are you being a good neighbor to? It's not who are you being kind to, is that we are to be kind to all. 
we are to, to show value in all human life. Who is, who is, if the question isn't who is your neighbor, the, que- the, the question is you are the neighbor, and so we are not to neglect those around us. So ne- neglecting others we need to see is an act of violence. And, and we can also see in, in Obadiah that hateful words are also violence. Look in verse 12. Hateful words are also violence. Do not gloat over your brother's day the day of his misfortune. And do not rejoice over the sons of Judah in the day of their destruction. Yes, do not boast boast in the day of their distress. Disregarding human rights is kind of a passive act. It is not doing something maybe you should. Hateful words are active, right? It is engaging. It is an active, active act of, of hatred. Edom moved from a passive stance to an active stance against Judah, and and they began to taunt Judah's descendants when they were being taken away, when they were being enslaved. He says, don't gloat over that. The word for gloating, it's based on the word to look at, and it could be used to talk about compassion or looking at with curiosity, or it can mean looking at with triumph or exaltation, and that's what it was. That's what it's being used for here. Judah was being carried away by Babylon, and Edom stood back and just looked at it in exaltation. Our enemies are being taken away. And they looked at it with exaltation. They loved it. Then he says they should not rejoice don't rejoice over the sons of Judah in the day of their destruction. It's another glimpse of their hatred. It wasn't just they were looking at it inside. They were, they were really enjoying it, but they started rejoicing and jumping and, and, and clapping, and they were really rejoicing that their enemy was taken away. And he says, don't boast about it. The Hebrew word that's used for boast here, do not boast, it means do not enlarge in your mouth. That's what the word means. And it's the idea of trying to open their mouth large enough so that they could get all their words out that they wanted to. These hateful words that they had. They looked at their enemy and they were exalting that their enemy was being enslaved and they, they, they started rejoicing over it. And it's like they had to make their mouths bigger because they had so many evil things to say about it. This is, these, are, these are acts of hatred. That's what God is saying. There was a boy with a bad temper. His father gave him a bag of nails and said, every time you lose your temper and you say things you should not say, I want you to hammer a nail in the back fence. It's the first day the boy had driven 37 nails into that fence, right? Lots of... Lots of anger and lots of things to say. Gradually it dwindled down. And pretty soon he was able to keep his temper under control. And he, wasn't able, he was able to not say the hateful words that, that, that would drive those nails into the fence. But, but the, the fence was full of nails, but finally he was able to stop driving it in. His father, he told his father about it, and he says, okay, now every day you can hold your temper, go back and pull out one of those nails. 
So he went back every day that he held his temper and kept, kept from saying bad words. He'd pull out a nail and he got pretty good of holding his temper and not saying the things that he shouldn't say. And he pulled out all these nails and pretty soon all the nails were gone. And he went and he told his, his dad, hey, I've pulled out all the nails. And he says, you did good, son. But look at all the holes that are in that fence. Look at all the holes that are there. He says, they, they, the fence will never be the same. And when you say things in anger, you can never take them back, right? It's like a stab wound. You stab with a knife and there's no, you can't take that back. There's always going to be a scar there. It doesn't matter how many times you say, I'm sorry, the wound is still there. Now see, as believers, we, we are to forgive, that's for sure. But I'm talking about the, the act of saying hateful words. James addresses the same issue in his epistle. And he tells his readers that the tongue is incredibly powerful. This little bitty, little bitty muscle in our mouth, it's like a rudder. This little rudder that directs giant ships or this little bit that goes into these powerful horses' mouths that direct. It's like a little spark that when it hits dry wood, turns into an uncontrollable fire. That, sit, that fire that wiped out Paradise, California, started with a spark. And it wiped out a town. And James is saying, our tongue is like that. And then he says in James 3, 9 and 10, with it, with our tongue, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. And with the same mouth comes both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Maybe there's been a time where you've seen a brother or sister kind of have a hard time, and secretly you just maybe rejoiced over it. Or maybe you looked at it with triumph or exaltation. Or maybe you had to enlarge in your mouth so all the words that you had to say had to come out. And God says, those are acts of violence against that person. We, we need to understand that hateful words are acts of violence. Followers of Christ need to remember that every person is made in the image of God and instead of driving nails into them and then pulling them out when we say we're sorry but the wound is still there, that we just take a minute and guard our tongues, let the Holy Spirit guard our tongues and keep us from, from those words. James says, my brethren, these things ought not to be this way. And if God didn't let Edom get away with it, how much more will he hold his own people accountable for their words toward each other? Neglect is violence, and hateful words are violence. Injurious actions are violence. This is what we think about violence. Look in verse 13. Don't enter the gates of my people in the day of their disaster. Yes, do not gloat over their calamity in the day of their disaster. Do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. They were guilty, Edom was guilty of looting 
Judah. So, so think of the progression. They first just neglected it. They didn't come to help when they needed help. Then they just stood aloof and kind of just said things against them. And now they're coming in and stealing things that didn't belong to them. That, that was Judah's. And, and eventually we find that Edom takes Judah's land and they begin living there, which is why the Herods are in the New Testament because Herods were from Idumean descent, that is Edomite. They were, they were from Edom and, and they had stole their land even. This was God's possession to them. And they said, and they heard those stories, by the way, they were Abraham's uh, grandsons. They heard the story of how Israel was going to get this land. But they said, we're going to take it anyway. They knew better. In the time of their greatest need, Edom choose to take their treasures instead of helping. It's even emphasized by the word disaster. You saw in 13 how disaster is repeated three times. The Hebrew word for disaster is Edom. And the Hebrew word for Edom is Edom. I mean, it's even a play on words. Edom didn't come help in the day of their Edom. It's kind of what he is, he is saying. And he used it over and over again, saying there's a direct relationship between Edom's guilt and Jerusalem's disaster. And he says, look, don't enter my gate. Don't enter the gates of my people. Talking about the gates of Jerusalem. They were now not standing apart from the enemy. They were participating in enemy activity, coming in and looting. He said, don't gloat over that. We talked about gloating. It's to look at in triumph. And he says, don't take what is not yours. They went in and looted. It just shows the hatred. And these people were taking away as slaves, and Edom said, well, if they're being taken away as slaves, I'll just come and take their stuff instead of helping them. In 2005, you might remember Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. And there were residents of New Orleans who were caught on the news cameras. They were plundering stores. They were just coming in and taking stuff. And there were even, if if you might remember, there were even police officers coming in and, and looting some of these stores and taking stuff and, and leaving because it was just um, a bad situation. People would push their carts through the store and they would just take stuff and leave. And, and they were, they, that, no matter how bad it was, that was, still, that was still a crime. It was taking advantage of people when things were at their worst. You know, you know what I'm saying? That everyone was in bad way there. The store owners were in a bad way. And yet people still came and tried to take advantage and steal. And that's the same activity he's talking about here. Taking advantage of those in vulnerable situations is not limited to criminals, though. It's a terrible saying, and I don't see it in this body. I really don't. But there is a saying that says the church is the only army who shoots its wounded. Anyone ever hear that? It's a sad, it's a sad saying. And again, I don't see that here, and I praise God for that. But, but there is a reputation of Christians that say, when somebody is hurting and vulnerable, I'm going to kick them while they're down. Instead of saying, let's restore this person. 
If we have grace and the love of Christ in us, we should say, that could be me. Just a couple of bad decisions, and that could be me. And I need to rest- I need restored them with grace because I need as much grace as they do. A family could be ripped apart by divorce and might be rejected by the church family. Let's not do that. Someone develops a... A, a disease of some kind, and, and some people might say, well, if they just had enough faith, what a terrible burden to put on somebody who is sick. And, taking, and not, not injuring people who are in vulnerable situations. If God would not let the ungodly do, behave that way, how much more will he say the people of God must be better than that as well? Neglect is, neglect is violence, and hateful words are violence, and injurious actions are, are violence. And he also says, betrayal is violence. Look in verse 14. Do not stand at the fork of the road to cut down their fugitives, and do not imprison their survivors in the day of their distress. This is kind of Edom's, this is, this is Edom's harshest actions here. Some of the people of God tried to escape when Babylon came. And they, would, they took off and running out of the city, and some of them might have ran to Edom trying to be, be safe in the cliffs in which Edom lives, the, the cliffs that they could hide in. And they'd come to Edom, and instead of saying, okay, brother, cousin, blood relative, come and we'll keep you safe, they would capture them, and give them to Babylon. This is something that happened in history. And it's just a betrayal of the people running to somebody where they think, I might be safe here, and they get there, and they find out, I am not safe. It's the epitome of hatred that Edom participated in the capture and imprisonment of God's people and gave them over to the enemy. And God provides no more evidence. After this, he says, this is why you're guilty of violence. You have cut off God's people when they needed you the most. Believers should be, a war- be just be aware of this warning that we shouldn't be working with the enemy. A lot of the anger and hate that happens in churches across the country And stories we hear about churches having these conflicts where heads are budding and preferences are being touted as the the most important thing is because they, they are not, we talked in Sunday school, submitting our desires under God's. The word submission, you split it up, submission. And the mission, your mission, your desires, your goals are placed sub God's, under God's. And whatever he says goes. And when we, that happens, we're humble and we, we work with what God wants to do. I knew uh, uh, the, the body of Christ shouldn't act that way. And, I, and many churches do, but I've heard stories of, of churches that, that refuse to work with the enemy. There was a couple of churches in Woodland Park many years ago um, maybe a decade or, or better, 2006, I guess. So, um, 
these two churches came together to be one. They started out as one church. And because of some issue of preference, maybe it was worship music, maybe it was version of the Bible, maybe it was color of the carpet. I, I don't know what it was, but you know how churches are, maybe. There was something that people had a preference over something else. And one part of the church left this other part of the church and said, my preference matters more than staying together. And they went and there was two churches. And the leadership of both churches eventually left and new leadership came into both churches. And these two pastors started talking together and found their story, their history of of how each church started. And these two pastors led these two churches to come back together. And today it's one church because of the unity that's found in the Spirit. Because the leadership said we are going to put our preferences under God's. Because the people of the church said we want, we are not going to work with the enemy and divide God's people. We are going to, we are going to work with God and bring unity to God's people. And the church is stronger because of it. We have a bit of a story about that here as well, where First Baptist has come and become part of Rosemont Baptist, and we are one, and that is a good thing. That is, that is God working among his people to make his body stronger. God warns those who would want to be violent against his people. And the bitterness Esau had against Jacob grew within Esau's descendants. We talked at the very beginning two, three weeks ago about the bitterness Esau had against Jacob and that was passed down to the descendants. And it culminated with his descendants working with the enemy of God's people to bring them into enslavement. God's people should not be that way. No one gets away with mistreating God's people. Not individuals, not nations, not relatives. God watches over his people. And he says, I am, I am their shepherd. I am their protector. I am their redeemer. It's a warning to the lost, but it's a warning to believers as well that God will protect his people. I'm going to have you bow your heads and think through this. Maybe today you can think of an area that maybe God's speaking to you about. Maybe you don't have control over your tongue and things are being said that just shouldn't be said. Maybe it is, it is not taking action to help those who are in need. Maybe it is some aspect that Satan's trying to creep into your heart to bring division. However God's working in your life, surrender that to him. This is a warning. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We're not talking about losing salvation, but we are talking about the joy of an abundant life. You respond as God leads. Heavenly Father, we come to you and ask that you would speak in our hearts. God, we don't want to think of ourselves as violent and uncaring. 
and judgmental. We don't want to think of ourselves that way, but I pray that if there's an area in our life we need to weed out, God, you would shine a light on it so that we could become more and more like you. So this body could be a place where you are worshipped and glorified and people would know that's a place where we love one another. God, work in our lives now and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.